Father God, thanks so much for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people. And Lord, we thank you for uh, your church. We thank you for this local church body, but we thank you for uh, the church around the world that is uh, gathering uh, together in, uh, in homes, in schools, in uh, buildings, uh, under trees. Uh, all across the world uh, today, people will gather in uh, your name uh, to hear from you. And so I pray that you uh, would speak uh, to them as you have uh, spoken to us through uh, your word. God, I pray that you would give us listening ears and humble hearts. Help us to receive from you what you have uh, for us this morning. God, thank you for the great joy and the great privilege that we have uh, to be called the people of God. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. This morning, I want uh, us to think together about the birth of vision, the birth of vision, advancing vision, uh, hindrances to fulfilling vision, and our only hope in seeing our vision come to fruition. So I want us to think together about uh, how God births vision in our hearts, uh, discuss how we advance of that vision, uh, think together about the hindrances of pursuing vision, and then uh, think together and be encouraged by our only hope in seeing our vision come to fruition. Uh, last week, we uh, kicked off the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Cliff Wright with Young Life uh, got us started. And you may remember that Nehemiah was someone called by God to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. About 60 years before him, uh, someone had come to rebuild the temple. Uh, Ezra came to rebuild the community. Nehemiah came to rebuild the wall. And so uh, God stirred in his heart uh, this longing or passion or desire to uh, undertake a project that was way too big uh, for one person to accomplish. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened uh, their hands for uh, the good work. So uh, Nehemiah notices the condition of uh, the world around him. And we will notice that the vision that God gave to him uh, was birthed out of a holy discontent. Um, oftentimes, vision, when it is given by God, is birthed out of a holy discontent. Nehemiah saw uh, the trouble that God's people were in. He looked around him and saw that the wall uh, had uh, been broken down. And he decided in his heart or was moved in his heart uh, to actually do something about it. Uh, vision time oftentimes works like this. We see uh, not just the reality that we are in, but we see a vision of, of not just what could be, but what should be. And Nehemiah looks at the world around him and he sees that the wall around Jerusalem uh, is, is broken and collapsed and he uh, is stirred in his heart to actually uh, do something about it. 
Oftentimes vision uh, in us is birthed when we experience a holy discontent. Uh, We look at the world around us and we think to ourselves, this is not okay. Like something must be done about this. I'm going to ask you a question this morning, Christ Point. What vision uh, has God given you? What vision has God given you? Oftentimes when I think of vision, I think of these big, hairy, audacious desires that we have uh, to change the world. And when I feel that, uh, it can uh, feel a little overwhelming, right? Because typically when you read about vision, you read about these big, hairy, audacious desires or dreams that people have to change the world, and you think to yourself, that's great for them, but how can little old me uh, do that? When I think of vision, I think of uh, men like Scott Harrison. Uh, Scott Harrison uh, started an organization called Charity Water. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Scott Harrison uh, was, in his younger 20s, uh, someone who was uh, in the nightclub scene and a party planner. And uh, he basically got paid to party. And he reached a point in his life where he thought to himself, what in the world am I doing? Like, why am I investing uh, in this work? Certainly there has to be something more. Uh, he, he left that world that he knew so well, and he worked for an organization called Mercy Ships uh, for like 12 to 18 months taking pictures, and it took him around the world. And when he traveled around the world, he saw uh, images of people, like real people, uh, who lived broken lives, and God began to do this work in his life. And, and he said, I must uh, do something about this. And so he realized that people around the world oftentimes lacked uh, clean water. People were dying of diseases because they didn't have clean water. And so he said, I must uh, do something about this. And so he started a Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that brings uh, clean water to the developing world. He did what uh, he knew to do. He threw a party and he asked his friends uh, to come and donate to provide clean water to the world. I look at that vision, and I think to myself, that is vision. I mean, it is big. It is audacious. It is hairy. It is like, I am going to change the world. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful when God does that. Sometimes God stirs in our hearts a desire to change the world, and sometimes God stirs in our hearts a desire uh, to change one. Sometimes God gives us experiences in life where he begins to wrestle in our hearts uh, to move us to go, you know what, this needs to be different. This must be different. This can be different. Maybe you come from a broken home and uh, you've seen the ravages of uh, of divorce or uh, you've seen a a picture of marriage that uh, isn't godly and it's broken and You see that picture and you think to yourself, um, I want to experience something different than what I saw when I was growing up. And so God begins to stir in your heart a a vision uh, for marriage. Maybe you think back to what it was like for you to grow up and your dad wasn't around or he was out of the picture or uh, your mom was demanding or uh, she was all up in your business. and, And you see as you get older all this unhealth that you experienced when you were younger and you think to yourself, I want a different story. 
And so God begins to, to grow in your heart a, a vision for parenting. Maybe it's something in your local community where um, God begins to stir in your heart this desire to address uh, the needs right in our own backyard. You see it and you experience it and God begins uh, to grow this holy discontent that causes you to say, I must do something about this. Sometimes God gives you a vision for the world. Sometimes God gives you vision uh, for one. Uh, but oftentimes vision is birthed out of a holy discontent in your heart and in mine. The second thing that we notice from the book of Nehemiah is that vision is advanced when other people are invited to partner with what God is doing. Right? Nehemiah sees the condition of the wall. Uh, God gives him a holy discontent uh, to do something about it. He commits himself to the work, but there's no way uh, that one guy can do it all. There's no way. Maybe the vision that God has given to you, you think to yourself, one person cannot do this cannot do this. I don't care if your vision is a vision for your family, for marriage, or parenting, or for finances, or for community, or if it's to provide clean water and food and education for the world. Regardless of what it is, it cannot be accomplished on your own. And so we notice in Nehemiah chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, that, that God's people are stirred to partner with Nehemiah in this work of rebuilding the wall. If you were to read through the third chapter of the book of Nehemiah, all it is is story after story after story of individuals who step up and begin to work on the wall. Uh, there, there's a group of people that go over to the sheep gate and they began to, to build the sheep gate. There's another group of people that go over to the fish gate and they begin uh, to build the fish gate. There's another group of people that go to the dung gate and begin to rebuild the dung gate. These are real names. I'm not making these up. And they go to the wall, and they begin to partner with Nehemiah in the work that he is doing. If God has given to you a vision uh, for uh, your life, if he has given you a vision for the world or for one, you cannot do it alone. You can't do it alone. You need a community to surround you and come alongside of you and partner with you. And so pray to the God of the universe uh, that he would send godly men and women and students to come alongside of you and partner uh, in the work. As, as I think about uh, this place, this church, as I think about Christ Point and our desire uh, to point people uh, to Jesus, uh, by the year 2025, there will be roughly 400,000 people uh, within 10 miles of this place. Right? Of those uh, individuals, roughly, roughly 35% would say that they are evangelical Christians. Uh, of that group, roughly 15 or 16% would say that their faith is very important to them. So every day as you drive through the neighborhood or as you rub shoulders with people at work or as you go to your school, it's safe to say that one or two out of every ten that you come in contact with will say that their faith is important to them. I read those statistics and as a follower of Jesus, I think to myself, that is not right, right? That's not okay, right? It's not okay if this story is a true story, if 
Jesus is who he claimed to be, uh, then it is imperative that we as the people of God would uh, share this story with others. But it is not a one man or a one woman job. It is our work. It's your work. It's not my work. Now you, <laughs> you're not like minions, just running around, like helping out. Like you, you are partners. You are sons and daughters of the one true high king. That is our work. Oftentimes, vision is birthed out of a holy discontent. God begins uh, to work in our hearts and our lives. We see something, we experience something, and we say, that is not okay. Like, I, I must do something about that. Right? And then what God often graciously does is he invites other people to partner uh, with us in the work. Uh, brothers and sisters who come uh, along to advance this work that God has given to us. Vision begins with a holy discontent. Vision is advanced as the people of God partner uh, together uh, to pursue that work. Uh, as we pursue this work together, it's important uh, to remember and to expect opposition. Uh, there will be opposition. Right? There is an enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. In other words, just because you have a good idea or even a God idea does not mean that your idea uh, will be easy to accomplish. Right? There will be times in life when you uh, experience um, criticism from the outside, people looking in at you, what you have been called to do, your longing in life, and say to you, you cannot do that. I mean, it's really sweet that you, you want to, to parent your children that way, but hey, <laughs> I mean, welcome to the real world. It doesn't work that way. It's great that you want to have that kind of marriage, but that's not realistic. Right? It's, it's cool that you want to do something about education in our community, but come on. Right? You were like a B-plus student. Right? What can you really offer? Right? It's great that you want to provide clean water for the world, but who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? The, the filter on your refrigerator doesn't even work. Right? You can't provide clean water for the world. There will be people that will see what you are doing and will say it cannot be done. It happened to Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers, and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. In other words, it's weak. Right? It's weak. The, the, the wall couldn't even hold up a fox, let alone protect the people of God. If you go on to verse 7 in Nehemiah chapter 4, it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, that it was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it 
And we prayed to God and set a guard as a protection against them a day and night. When God gives you a vision, when he stirs in your heart a holy discontent to do something, when you invite people to to partner with you in the work that God has called you to do, expect opposition. It will be hard. It's hard work. It is hard work. Sometimes people from the outside will be looking on the inside and go, it can't be done. What you want to accomplish is foolish. It's foolish. You can't do it. There will be voices on the outside telling you, you can't parent your kids like that. You can't have a marriage like that. You can't make an impact like that. You you can't advance the gospel like that. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. And by the way, I don't want it to work. That's what's happening uh, to Nehemiah. Watch how Nehemiah responds, though, uh, when there are those on the outside criticizing the work on the inside. He said in verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 4, Hear, O God, for we are despised. He's crying out to God, Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover uh, up their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you in anger in the presence of the builders. So what does Nehemiah do when he receives the criticism uh, from the outside? He just prays. He's like, God, do you see this? Hello? You, you see what they're doing? He cries out for, for God to, to act in injustice. Do not cover up their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from uh, your sight. And I think sometimes when we think about how uh, we are called as the people of God to interact with one another, we are to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us. We, we are to love those who don't love us. That is true. And as the people of God, we are called uh, to move in that direction, to press in when relationships are hard. Uh, and, and there are times when it is wholly appropriate to say, God, do you see what is happening? Like, God, do you see what is happening? Do you, do you see what is happening to your people? Move. Right? Act. Don't turn a blind eye to it. Nehemiah is praying for God's justice. Right? That, that makes me feel okay that for the times in life when when I want to pray for that as well. I, I, I love when the good guy defeats the bad guy. I love Rocky, right? Rocky Balboa, like when he turns it around, and I don't know if, if it was like the third one or the 17th one, but it seemed like he won a lot. And he never thought he was going to win, but you see like the music starts playing in the background, and he gets his second win, and he starts beating the bad guy, and I'm like, like I'm still like that. I still feel that. I still experience that. I still see Daniel Russo in my mind doing the crane. And I'm like, yes, justice will prevail. Right? Justice will prevail. Like, beat that guy up. Like, there's this part of me that prays and longs for justice. As a people of God, there are times when we experience enemy fire, when we pray for God's justice. God, move. Act. See what is happening. Do not turn a blind eye. Take notice. 
There are times in life when God uh, gives us a God-given vision that comes out of a holy discontent. He oftentimes will send people around us to partner with us in that work. Uh, As we move toward that work, we will experience opposition. Oftentimes, the opposition comes from the voices on the outside, but sometimes uh, it comes from voices on the inside. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In Judah it was said, uh, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By themselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12, At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. And you see what's taking place? I mean, there's, there's people on the inside that are, that are just giving their honest assessment, and they're going, guys, this is not going well. It's not going well. A for effort, appreciate the work you're doing, uh, but it's not going well. Th- then there are people on the outside, the enemies, going, hey, we're just, <laughs> we see how this is playing out. Like, we're going to come against them. And so the people come to Nehemiah and say that ten times, you must return to us. In other words, just bail. Like, pack up and leave. Have you ever feel that before? You feel like God has stirred in your heart a holy discontent. He's called you to move and to act. And so you go and you experience opposition. And everything within you at times wants to go, ah, Hey, we gave it the old college try. This is not working. And then you begin to hear the voices on the outside and the voices on the inside going, it can't be done, just go back home. I love uh, the hope that Nehemiah gives uh, for those moments. He he gives a call to the people uh, to show courage that comes uh, from the strength that God provides. Look at Nehemiah 4, verse 13. It says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. This is what he says. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Do not be afraid of the enemy. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Man, how we need that uh, reminder when we are discouraged. Your hope and my hope is not in our might. It is not in our resources. Uh, It is not in human ingenuity. It's not in how well connected we are or who uh, we know. Our hope is in the Lord. Right? God is great and awesome. But Nehemiah calls the people uh, to this reminder, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, uh, and your homes. And so he's going to say, remember the Lord, and then he's going to remind the people that God will fight for them. Uh, Later on in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 19, it says, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, uh, the work is great, and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, 
God will fight for us. Right, so, the, so the troops are dispersed. The people are working on the wall. Nehemiah comes together with this plan and says, when you hear uh, the, the trumpet, a rally, God will fight for us. Again, this is the hope that we have as we pursue vision, that holy discontent in our hearts and in our lives. When we experience discouragement, Nehemiah says, uh, remember the Lord. He is strong. He is mighty. And then he says, and he will fight for you. He will fight for you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you uh, to fend for yourself. God will come alongside of you and fight for you. And I love then the reminder that we have as the people of God in knowing how to respond to that. Because I hear that and I think to myself, that is good news. Like I, I sit back, right, and I just watch kind of like what the Lord does. Like I sit back and I watch what the Lord does. He will fight for me. And so I have this picture of myself in my very comfortable lazy boy recliner with my television on watching the NBA playoffs, thinking to myself, that you, someone got a bingo? Yeah! Man, I was worried. Did I say heaven yet? Because heaven's on there, and I didn't say that yet. I just said it, kids. I just said heaven. That's awesome. So, what was I talking about? Uh, I totally, oh, yes, my lazy boy. I'm watching the NBA playoffs, and I'm sitting back, and I am enjoying life because God is fighting for me. Uh, and yet, uh, the picture that we have in Scripture isn't quite like that. Right, it says in verse uh, 21, right after it says our God will fight for us, it says in verse 21, so we labored at the work. Right, so we labored at the work. Right, so we see what's happening. God, God gives vision. God-given vision grows out of a holy discontent, the sense that we have to do something about the world around us, what we see, we have to move, we have to act. Other people partner with uh, the work. They're not our helpers, our little minions, they're, they're part of it. It's their, their work too. We're in this uh, together. We experience opposi opposition. There's people from the outside going, hey, it's never going to work. There's people on the inside going, hey, you gave it the old college try. Like, just, just be done with it. Go home. Uh, Nehemiah says, God is mighty and strong, and he will fight for you. And now get to work. Right? Has God given you a vision uh, for your life of holy discontent? Right? Has, has he stirred your heart in such a way where you say, I, I want to I be a different mom. I want to be a different dad. I want uh, to be uh, a, a different husband or wife. I want to do something about the community around me that I see. I want to move into the, the world. And if you've had that experience before, if God has done that work in your heart, know that there will be times of deep discouragement, of deep discouragement. But listen, God is strong and he is mighty. He will fight for you. Now get to work. Now get to work. Don't, don't quit. Don't, don't sit back. Move. Uh, press in. When I thought about this, I was uh, reminded of, of an individual I've had the opportunity to get to know a little bit. Uh, over the last year or so. His name's uh, David. David is a missionary in Greece along with his wife, uh, Ruth. And uh, I've asked David to come uh, this morning to share a little bit about uh, his ministry uh, there with you. I think you're going to be blessed to hear from him. And so David, why don't you come up um, 
if you are maybe wondering, who is David and Ruth? Um, I have not seen him before. How did he find his way here this morning? Uh, you may remember Griffin and Londa were a part of our church family uh, for, uh, for some time. They uh, not long ago moved to Tennessee as, as Griffin uh, prepares uh, for Bible education at, at Moody Bible. But I think it was last year uh, they had an opportunity to spend about, about a month uh, with, uh, with you and, and your wife, Ruth. So, um, so that's the connection. So uh, why don't you share with uh, folks uh, what it is that you have the privilege of doing. Thanks for having me. I just wanted to say it has been one of the funnest things in my life getting to know James and Billy. Um, so I don't know if you know them. Maybe not because you're not laughing. So <laughs> if you knew them, you laugh a lot. They know. Um, they, they know. So my wife, Ruth, and I, we are currently in Athens, Greece, which is a pretty large city. It's about 7 million people in the greater area. And in the past decade, there has been a huge influx of refugees uh, coming into the country from the Middle East and North Africa, places you're not planning to go this summer for vacation. And they're leaving war-torn countries, dictatorships, and fanatic uh, terrorists looking for a place of refuge and hope. And so we are in Athens working with the Greek Evangelical Church to plant churches and start uh, nonprofits to help meet the basic needs and help people integrate into the country, learn how to live in Europe, give them food, clothing, help them make a job resume, but ultimately share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, which we have seen come at a very uh, wonderful way because they've, they've never had access to the gospel. So the people we're working with, they come from countries where you can't talk about Christianity. So we're often the first Christians they've ever met we give them the first Bible they've ever seen, and they've never heard of the gospel. Um, I was at a wedding yesterday, and uh, about 300 people were there, and the pastor said, let's say the Lord's Prayer, and everyone knew it from the age of like four to 70. And if you were to go to the people we're working with and say, say the Lord's Prayer, they would not even know what you're talking about. Um, so that's what we're doing is just praying, meeting people, sharing the gospel with them, and doing that as faithfully and effectively as possible and not just in word, but also in deed. Uh, pa paint us a, a picture of maybe what that looks like on a, on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Or Thursday. Or Thursday. I'm, I'm going to go with a Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday. That was my third choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so a, a bit about my wife. My wife has been working in a women's center that our church has started where they allow women to come in, which is incredible because a lot of the women are being abused and beaten by their husbands because they come from countries where women are not considered property pretty much and so to give them a safe place to sew to learn how to uh have skills and uh empower them to do things and she's there with them and we have uh lawyers come in to help them with their documents doctors is that's a very practical way she's serving and also helping unaccompanied minors we find them on the street and bring them into our church buildings and help them uh to learn do skills uh, MIT even came into the program, and a lot of my ministry is, is I, I try to make the city my office. I'm, I'm on the streets. That's where the people are. They're on the streets. Many of them are homeless. Uh, they have nothing to do. They're not working, so they're just hanging out, and, and they're, it's a very Americans. We're very much like we're going to start at 1030, and we're going to finish at 12. In between, after that, I'm done. You know, goodbye. We have a set schedule, but there it's kind of like doesn't matter what time it is. Time's kind of relative, so people love to be together all the time. So I, I'm just making myself available for people to love them, care for them. I'm, I'm doing a lot of pastoral care, discipleship, and uh, seeing people grow in the knowledge and goodness of Jesus Christ and, and who God is and how that applies to their life is a bit of what it looks like. So hospitality, fellowship, uh, games, caring for people. Um, 
and you wear a lot of different hats. I, I, I remember one day I was at a Bible study, and then a, a guy called me, and his daughter had had a seizure, and she was four years old, and she went blind and deaf and couldn't move, and they had no idea to get to the hospital. So helping them get to the hospital and meet with the doctor, get them a translator so they can talk about what's going on. And so you're playing a lot of different hats because there's so many different needs, especially in a country like Greece where there's a lot of economic crisis. They don't have a certain program or this office to help meet every single detailed problem like we, like we have here. Um, and so um, just wearing a bunch of hats and just being available, accessible, and loving people well and, and serving them and pointing them to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Do you have, uh, I know I didn't tell you I was going to yeah. ask this, but uh, like if there was maybe one person yeah. that, that comes to mind just that you've had the opportunity to walk alongside of, yeah. um, and, and maybe someone that God's, you know, just yeah. doing a, a work in his or her, her life, you know, could you yeah. share that? Absolutely. I'll tell you about my best friend. Does that work? Yeah. Uh, my best friend's name is Mustafa. Mustafa, um, when I met him about four years ago, he was a very broken man going through a very hard time, and uh, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I kid you not, but that first year, my wife, as my witness, we probably spent two to three hours every single day together um, because he had nothing to do going through a very hard time. And I actually learned to speak his language, which is Farsi, through that relationship because he can't speak English, I can't speak his language. So you, you learn it to help somebody in need. And through that relationship, I learned Farsi, and he learned a bit of English. And I think we actually maybe created our own language in, in between all that. <laughs> and... Um, and Mustafa, we spent so much time together. He became like my right-hand man. I was his right-hand man. And uh, just a blessing to me. And Mustafa, we'd go on the streets together, do everything together. And he led, so he's from Iran. And Iran is a strict country. You cannot um, convert from Islam to Christianity. You can't share the gospel. You can't pass out Bibles. And Mustafa uh, led his cousin to Christ back in Iran. And, um, and uh, that, I'm like, that's awesome. So we jumped on that, started doing Skype meetings with his cousin, discipling him. Next thing you know, it was 15 people, and um, uh, it kept on growing. Next thing it was 30 people, and Mustafa was essentially pastoring these people back in Iran through Skype and the Internet, and um, Mustafa was very um, involved in that. His phone, he was on his phone all day long. I was in the group chat. He's constantly asking them questions, talking with them, and th he's the only access they have to somebody who has some kind of formal Christian background or training, and uh, our church blessed and commissioned Mustafa to return to Iran to pass in that church, a pass that church, which is good for him and a lot of things he's going through, but it's also good for that church to have some experienced believer. And that eventually led to two congregations meeting in two cities in Iran of a total of 60 people. And I actually went to Turkey. Uh, there's an underground church meeting there, and we had to meet the people we've been Skyping with, uh, praying with for the past two years. And um, that's a quick testimony about Mustafa and how God takes a man who came to Greece fleeing refuge from fleeing all the stuff he's going through in his country, finding refuge in Christ and finding something so much better than what he ever had and going back to a dangerous place, share the gospel. And just to be quite honest with you, Mustafa was arrested six months ago for his faith and for passing out Bibles, and he has since been released uh, over Christmas. So while we were opening Christmas presents, um, eating cookies and celebrating, which are all good gifts from the Lord, we should do. There were brothers and sisters around the world um, that we know personally who were in a prison cell. And um, that, that is uh, the beauty of the gospel, that we can celebrate the incarnation in a beautiful Christmas tree with a fireplace and people who train than we can do in a prison cell where there is no access to those things. And um, that's a quick testimony about someone we've been able to come firsthand. I, I don't even want to sit here 
talk about how we bless him because he's blessed us more than we can ever do for him. Thank you. So um, why did you go? Um, that, that's a great question because um, there is no why. Then everyone's laughing about it. Silly. Um, I, I think two things. First reason is God. Um, God is wonderful. He is glorious. He's beautiful. He is um, personal. He is relational. He's loving. And he is gracious. And he has done a wonderful thing for us that we did not have to do in giving us Jesus Christ to know him, pursue him, and enjoy him. I was sitting with my cousin yesterday, and he's like, I want God just to give me some kind of sign. And I'm like, brother, he gave you his son. When you want to see what God's like, read the New Testament. When you read the Gospels, you are seeing what God is like in the person of Jesus Christ, which is incredible. We see God, Jesus Christ, on the flesh, crying when Lazarus died. That's an incredible thing. I didn't think about that. God crying when someone died. He's, he's God. He doesn't know death. But in Jesus Christ, he, he died. Beautiful. God's incredible. So the first reason is God. He is wonderful, beautiful, and I want to tell the whole world. We want to tell the whole world who our God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. I think the second reason is man. I think man is lost, and they need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just here, but all around the world. People don't have access. I met a guy who was an engineer from Turkey, spoke four languages fluently, had his master's degree, and he had never heard of the word grace. Not, not just didn't know what it means. He never heard of it. In fact, most of the Iranians we work with, they either know that the word grace exists, but don't know what it means or don't know it exists at all. I have yet to meet an Iranian who knows an Iranian who knows an Iranian who knows what the, gr what the word grace means. And so we want to tell them, Man, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and, and giving him. And uh, that, that's, yeah, I think God is wonderful. Man is lost. Need to know him. And I, I think if I were to say a third thing, we have an obligation to serve people, to love people, to give our lives to, to, the, to the great commission. And, and the great commandment, even I think to answer a short question short, is uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the why. It's not some big, profound thing with the vision is big. But, I mean, let's make our vision, first and foremost, the great commandment. Let's loving people. And I think that's what it is. is God is wonderful. He's incredible. Uh, people are lost and separated from him and, and through Jesus Christ. There's something good to share with them, um, what God's already done for us. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the why, I hope. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, share with our people maybe ways that we can pray for you, come alongside, and, and partner with you. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a very specific prayer request. That's exciting because people are like, how can we pray for us? I'm like, well, just pray, you know. Um, we're actually going to be starting a, um, a, a shelter or an apartment to house uh, people who are vulnerable to human trafficking. And so we got an apartment to have temporary stay. So we're going to go back to Greece and start that. And finding an apartment right now in Athens is very difficult, even if you're Greek. And if you're non-Greek, it might be impossible. Um, so if you would be praying for us that we can find this apartment to furnish, make it a comfortable place to take people who are vulnerable to human trafficking and abuse and put them in a temporary place to feel safe. So that's something you can pray for. Um, the second thing you can do is convince James to send a team over to Greece and serve with us um, or that to you guys. The third thing you can do is, is we need to raise 500 more dollars per month by June 4th before we go back to Athens to have a healthy budget for ministry and for living. And if you would love to give to us and partner with us financially, uh, which is pretty exciting because you get to help people you'll never meet and, and be an investment team you'll probably never go to. We have these cards on a table out there. And it's a connection card. They're handmade. Um, so I appreciate that. And if you could just fill this out, there's an option to say you're interested in giving. 
um, we, we, we are praying and hoping that this month we can meet that $500 per month budget. And there is no such thing as too little. Um, $20 a month, $50 a month, $500 a month. That is wonderful. We thank you for that. So that's a big way. So the three things that you, we need to pray for is that temporary housing project. The second thing you can do is convince him and Billy. Um, maybe you can leave Billy here. Um, actually, <laughs> he was trying to get me to pray about taking Billy with me. Um, I think we'll, we'll leave the Lord, let the Lord's hand. Um, so get him to bring a team over there. And the third thing is consider giving to us financially and partnering with what we're doing, and um, which is exciting because you get to invest in something that God's doing in a place you've never been. And, um, yeah, it's the opportunity for you. And uh, so thank you. That's beautiful. Let me pray for you specifically. Father God, thanks so much for uh, your grace and for your goodness to us. Thank you that uh, that grace is a, is a familiar word and that we can come uh, before you uh, because of the good work of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing around the world. I'm grateful for David and for Ruth and for how you have uh, stirred their hearts uh, to go. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would provide a housing for those who are most vulnerable in our world. Lord, I pray in unexpected and unusual and even supernatural ways that, uh, that you may provide what they need uh, when they need it. Uh, Lord, I pray for, uh, for us as your people here that you would uh, open our eyes to, uh, to the world and what you're doing, not just here in our community, but in other places. I pray that uh, you would uh, stir in our hearts and raise up uh, men and women who uh, would go to the ends of the earth uh, for the cause of the gospel and for the good name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray for provision uh, for David and for Ruth. I pray that uh, you would provide the additional $500 a month for them. I pray that, um, Lord, that they would have everything they need to uh, to minister effectively in Greece. Uh, Lord, be their sustenance. Uh, Lord, be uh, their source of uh, sufficiency. Uh, grant to them uh, wisdom and grace and, and courage. Lord, I pray that your hand would uh, continue to be upon them, that you would be kind to them, uh, and that you would strengthen them for uh, the days ahead. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.